last thing I did before I left here was I got my pilot's license. Yeah. Um, just uh, not instrument yet. Uh-huh. Same. I need to go. Yeah. I got mine. I got mine. Um, the 70th. Or wait, let me think about this mathematically. The 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 2021. I got my pilot's license. Nice. <laughs> and then suiting. Uh, why didn't you go get the instrument? Yeah, um, I don't actually enjoy flying. Like the problem was that I, my motivation was largely for saying that I was a pilot. Like, and by the way, I'm gonna always be open and candid because mm -hmm. I think that's what people f expect to me at this point. I'm not gonna sit here and you say. Just captured everything we say, right? <laughs> you can cut it up, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, a lot of the motivation <coughs> was like, I just want to be able to say that I'm a pilot. But it would also be cool to like go fly to Waffle. I love Waffle House. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool to go fly to Indianapolis, which is the closest Waffle House to here. It would take me like an hour and a half to get there. Yeah. Well, then I realized that it's it's work to fly in. And yeah. if you got your license, like, it's not all fun and games. It's not just go in, like, you know, push the throttle in, um, steer the yoke. It's like a lot of work, a yeah. lot of communication that you have to learn. So, I'm like, this is this is work. I don't I don't want to have to do all that work. That's we were so similar with that because uh -huh. it was uh, not exactly bucket list. It's just one of those things in the back of my mind always. And then um, I've tried to retire like three times. Yeah. And one time I'm like. Uh, I'm gonna get my pilot's license. Yeah, that's and it exactly wasn't exactly, what I did. And it's like, this is cool. Yeah. And I don't know, like to me, I realized that like, I thought it was gonna be more like like the skill of driving. Like yeah. in art, it's like, well, I mean, pilot's license is basically um, meteorology and physics. <laughs> yeah. Right? You, gotta, you gotta understand yes. the weather and you gotta understand Bernoulli's principle. Yeah, 100%. And hundred percent. That's cool, because I did a dolphin one time where the front, the nose went down first. Or oh, the really? Front, like uh, non-intentionally? Like it wasn't part um, of the training; it just happened. Uh, pilot error. <laughs> <laughs> Trimmer. Who the knows error what it was, was somewhere between the seat and the yoke. Okay, um, I gotcha. <laughs> so, um, what? And then, and then a dolphin spit. Yeah, but like, also interesting. And then, same. It realized, okay, this really is a plane's a time machine. Yeah. Right. Compressed time, and that's that's cool. But if you got to do pre-flight. Yeah. And then that's fifteen twenty. You're minutes. on it, and you got to pay attention. Although it's still something that I'm gonna I'm gonna finish and get an instrument and. Okay. Um, that's good. Uh, I want to get multi-engine as well. Yeah. Some of that is just for family. But really, the thing that first inspired me about planes, I was yeah. like uh, 19, 20, something like that. Mm -hmm. My first mentor who had any money, because I didn't, didn't know any of those. Sure. Um, super humble guy, but he had a plane. He had pilots. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Because you're, you're thinking about the Waffle House. Yeah. He was in um, somewhere on the East Coast, and he, was, he lived in Pogan, Washington area. And he, a guy that I knew was with him, and he... We all up to the pilot. He goes, hey, can we drop down at whatever? They stopped in South Dakota because there's this place that had the best burgers and cheese. Yeah, yeah. We're like, no, that's cool. Oh, yeah. And that's, yeah, and we would, we floated Janesville from uh, DePage, and we got a, the, the, what they call the $100 burger because mm -hmm. you have to pay for the plane rental yeah. and all that stuff. So it's it's neat. Like, conceptually, it's neat. But then yeah. when you're like, I have to go do 15 minutes of pre-flight, 15 minutes of taxiing, deal with significant amount of communication in the air. Yeah. The, the fear of, there's not a fear of landing, but... Private pilot is significantly less safe than driving, and driving mm -hmm. is not totally safe. Yeah, um, and they don't even keep like full data. Like everything you read online is a guess on fatality yeah. per. But but everything I read is like, yeah, you're a lot more likely to die um, in a plane, a private single engine plane, than you are in a car. So some of that yeah. weighs into my head, and it's just yeah. I, I think the the ending of a car wreck is different than a plane wreck. Uh, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when the plane goes down, the ride's over. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, but yeah, I think it's. It, most of the ones I know that I actually knew any data about, it was either weather or weight and balance. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so, uh, or some occasions because they drill the instruments off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, a, to me, the, the idea is um, 
like I've aspired to, and one of the things I've seen do, you've in, you've really built an organization about inspiring people to do great work. Yeah. If you are or are not there, yeah. right? And yeah. some of that I think has to do with taking things that are pretty complex and making them simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big challenge. And I don't know if you think this way, but like to me, a big part of that experience of flying is it's not that complicated. Yeah. There's a bunch of complex stuff, but once you understand it. It's it's like driving where it's just it just comes to you and it happens and yeah. e- even with radio I still there's still something new I hear every time and I have I think 120 150 hours which isn't a significant amount but yeah. I'm like every one time I fly there's something new and yeah. I'm like okay well what is what does that mean and I'm like how how can this keep happening yeah. but by the time you get your commercial license these guys are when you head head into a crazy airport like O'Hare I've yeah. listened to the live ATC yeah. and like. I'm like, they're spitting off a hundred directions to these yeah. guys and they're getting it all. And I'm like, well, it must just be a muscle memory at that point. Yeah. I mean, Incredible. even just taxiing. If you listen to the things when they're taxiing at O'Hare yes. and they're saying it so fast, I don't know if I could write it down that fast. No, that's my problem is like, they're like whiskey golf, got, uh, they'll be like whiskey golf, Foxtrot, Echo, Cross at 10, report this. I'm like, I can't write this fast. And then I have to, I now have to yeah. repeat it yeah. back. And then switch to 107.2. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's, it's, but one of the things that I had, um, what my favorite instructor was like part time and he was just this guy who just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, something was like Elmer or something like that. And we got up there and he said, number one rule. Yeah. Just fly the plane. Yeah. And it was pretty interesting. You know, I thought, well, that's oversimplified. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, that's kind of like, think about a car if you're in a slide on ice. Yeah. Right? Look to where you want to go, point the car there. Yeah. Like, and in business, when you're in a panic mode, yeah. right? Like, you know, just, just leave. You know, full disclosure, how we know each other is um, we originally met in Illinois, a, su- a suburb of Chicago, Wheaton, Illinois. And uh, we, I bought your old house. Mm-hmm. And, he sold me his humble little house. It only had uh, capacity for seven cars. And so I had to just go into the little humble abode and, and deal with, you know, the, the, the kind of camper sort of experience. And then as you went on to the next one. But that's where we first met. And for something yeah. about it, I think both of us are either crazy enough or ambitious enough that there's something about that. that uh, great experience. Did I leave you the lifts? I forget in the garage. You did. Oh, yeah, so that was part of the deal. Part of the deal was I want the lifts. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, nice. For some reason, you didn't have a place to put them temporarily, yeah. which really went, worked to my advantage. Yeah, it did. Um, there were slow lifts anyway. <laughs> there's there's very few people that when you buy a major purchase from, you end up liking them later. Sure. So yeah. 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 The only thing I was ticked off about was there's a membrane that didn't work and I had a basement flooded. But is that um, was that by the where the like the part of the garage? Yeah. Yeah, we had repaired that multiple times. We yeah. finally brought out a place, and we thought it was fixed, but it sounds like it wasn't. It, were, it was fine. Um, you know, I was going to put it in a swimming pool, but I just didn't need to. It flooded. No, <laughs> no we sort of, you know, some, it's, it's like everything else. It's like you get somebody who's, you know, for a living has figured this out. He yeah. came and figured it out quickly. Yeah. Um, but, th- you know, that's where we met initially. Uh, yeah. Also, you know, for listeners, interesting side note is the first experience of my family with you was my son, who was maybe sophomore, junior in high school, mm-hmm. Um, summer job working for you. Yeah. And that came from friends of his that had already worked for you. Yeah. And like one of the themes that, that comes out of conversations I have with people is the importance of networks, keeping your reputation good, you know, being known for the things you want to be known for. And man, that comes back later on in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just small uh, things. But even then, him working for you, like schlepping tires in a warehouse yeah. or whatever he was doing, uh-huh. it was inspiring because he saw. You as a leader, yeah. the company, what you were able to do—that um, wasn't just for the people who had really cool, uh, you know, 
products they were buying and with vehicles. It was also for the people who were able to make a living, lots of them. Yeah. Because you were, you know, taking risks to do things. For sure. So, anyway, that's, that's kind of context for the conversation. But um, one thing that's not maybe clear to a lot of people, right now, you've got a lot of followers. Yeah, sure. Awesome car collection. Thank um, you. How many tens of millions? Quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, Twenty, a little over 20 million. Yeah, so that's reasonable. Um, <laughs> it goes up and down. But, you know, really cool. I mean, I just I think, I think it's really great. Um, and people, there's a little bit of childhood, you know, that you, you talk about publicly. Yeah. But I think a lot of people probably don't know, like, that's a big gap. You know, how yeah. you go from um, really not having, you know, uh, proactive advantages as a kid or whatever. Yeah. The story, I would maybe just a little bit of the story of like, how did you go from where you were as a kid to um, what was next? Yeah. Because it's a big jump. People don't just flip a switch. Sure. Um, I think that, first of all, I do think that people have a significant disadvantage by by not coming from higher income, right? There's there's mm-hmm. less ex- uh, accessibility to people that can mentor them. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to work hard to get that. And then, you know, finding mentors if you're some poor little kid, like, I don't know that people are willing to extend their time mm-hmm. and grace uh, to meet that person. Um, I mean, difficulty in going to good education unless you really bust your butt. Um, so definitely a leg down, but, um, but I've always said that I had a lot of liberties when I was a kid. And, and so there was very little parental oversight, which, um, which I loved, like we could, we could go ride our bikes at age eight, like five miles down the road to downtown Wheaton, get in rated our movies. Somehow we would be able to be able to get in rated our movies. Um, you name it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know how that shaped me later in life, but, but I, I still, I always say that, that I thoroughly enjoyed my childhood and I yeah. think that it helped me get where I'm at now. Um, you, you have to work hard and grind for everything that you get. And so I did have to, you mentioned earlier that I had to, you know, bypass sports and stuff like mm-hmm. that was true. Like, um, especially where we're at, people develop sports at very young. Like if mm-hmm. you're not doing it in, in grade school, like, you know, K through five, yeah. you're already behind. Um, so there was no way we could afford that. And we moved around a whole bunch of different schools anyway. Um, can, so, can I can I ask a question about yeah. that? Because the liberty you talked about growing uh-huh. up, and you know, some would say lack of structure, some would say yeah. liberty. But you employ, and I've worked, had a lot of people early career, um, and I'm sure you've seen pros and cons. Uh, you know, there's definitely a tendency where you, where you and I lived, where I live now in the Austin yeah. area, where um, there's a lot of like close proximity of parenting, like oh, yeah. almost micromanagement oh, yeah. parenting, um, kind of all the privileges. That, so there's pros and cons, but yeah. What did you see as the advantages, like that you, you know, um, experience you had? What about that, you know, helped you later in life? Yeah, like you can go and fail, right? Like, it, like mm-hmm. there wasn't, there wasn't always that that security to fall on. Like, yeah. I can fail, so you, you learn early. And I think that, you know, typically lower income kids learn a lot early. Like, mm-hmm. like there's, it's hard to explain it, but you just see the truth about the world at a much younger age because you're exposed to. A very different part of society like you're out you're living yeah. there's nobody there protecting you like you you just get it and and i know that's general but i also think that the liberties afforded to me um allowed me to go explore and do things and like like i could uh um like, i don't know <laughs> well, i think anybody could i was gonna say like i could like I would just ride my bike to Jewel, buy stuff. Yeah. Like my parents, my parents didn't know. I'd go buy snacks, desserts, and then try to find a way to like hustle those and sell yeah. them on the side. You know, maybe someone with income could absolutely do that. But, but the liberties afforded just allowed me to go out and do kind of what I wanted. Yeah, it's really interesting too, cause and effect of like you personally having the consequence of what you chose to do. Yeah, right. That's exactly. 
Yeah, and do you think that, um, totally lost my train of thought. It's gonna be awesome okay. though. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, so a lot of times, one of the things, I spend some time talking to parents a lot. Yeah. And um, a lot of times they feel that part of a parent's role, which I think is accurate, is you know providing a belief system and values and, and things to give their kids structure. And yet, <clears throat> um, surprisingly, some kids from that environment make really bad choices. But, yeah. Some people from... So what do you think governed you for, like, like from an ethics standpoint? That's um, a great question. What was um, that? I would say that that I think you're kind of right. Like, you, you have to... You have to um, I don't want to say like being lower income is unethical. Like you have to do what you 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 can to survive, right? Like someone with good income can go buy a movie. They can go buy, you know, if they're going to go see a doubleheader, like they're going to pay for both of them. Well, if you don't even have enough for a ticket, then then you're going to go buy a ticket and you might go sneak into a second movie. Like that, you have to do what you have to do. Like why should you be disadvantaged, um, mm-hmm. even though your parents or you are working just as hard as these other folk? So. I'm not saying go steal from a grocery store. I think yeah. that's a different line to cross than, yeah. you know, well, maybe it's not. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it, to me, it's a slightly different line. But I think that uh, even like you know, getting into the carnival, like I was, I was 10 years old because 10 and under was for even when I was 13, I was 10 years mm-hmm. old getting into the carnival, and uh, that's just the way that it was because I wouldn't go to the carnival if that right. wasn't going to happen. The DuPage County Fairground, which I'm sure you're yeah. the fair, yeah. which I'm yeah. sure you're familiar with. Um, so. Uh, you got to remind me what the initial question was. So, my my I, mind goes on tangents. So what did you use to govern? You know, because there's, oh, there's, yeah, yeah, there's good, always good. like, you know, you. there's this yeah. area where you have to make a decision on your own of right and wrong. Yeah. And so it's weird because mine was in reverse order. Like that that was the mentality when I was younger. It was it was do what you do to survive mm-hmm. and and try to live as normal life as possible. But that requires some of that. Yeah. Uh, so usually it's kind of the the flip. I think that as people are younger and they're raised by by good solid parents like. They start out moral and then they get corrupted by the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Where I was very much the opposite. And I wasn't like a bad kid. I didn't do great in school. I didn't like lie profusely, but mm-hmm. um, but but as I got older, got wiser, um, I just realized that that being open and honest, and especially with my kids, like they they tr- no matter what I say, like they have full trust in what I say because I've always been open and honest with them. Um, just being honest. Uh, especially to our consumers, our customers. Like, if you screwed up, just let them know. Yeah. It's going to hurt you in that conversation, but long term, I think it's better for the relationship and it's going to bring people back. So it was, it was more, it was more just making a personal decision that that like that that is the world that I want to live in. It is weird to to lie. It is weird to do anything outside of that realm. And and so I, I hate to say that. I would say if anything, my childhood put me at a disadvantage for that. Yeah. Um, it's just you mentioned. Uh, like you try to project yourself as as an ethical, uh, it wasn't ethical, but like y- your your character is very important. And like mm-hmm. I don't I don't try to pro- like my goal is not to project mm-hmm. myself as a positive character. It's just to be, it's to achieve that just by being honest and upfront and yeah. and always just giving people, you know, the right answer about just being truthful, being yeah. truthful and ethical. I mean, that's interesting. There was I heard a guy um, uh, speak. This is uh, I think it was right after like the Enron scam, some some sort yeah. of ethical thing in the corporate world. Sure. Um, and one of the top leadership authors, John Maxwell, yeah. uh, speaks, writes a lot of stuff. And he was asked to do um, a series on business ethics. Sure. And his response was great. He said, there's no such thing as business ethics. <laughs> there's ethics. Oh, nice. And yeah. they apply to business. Um, you said something I don't think I've heard articulated that way. Sure. And, like, my summary of that was life's experiences actually helped you develop better and better habits. Yeah, I, I just found that I was more successful by 
by being like honest and upfront. Like yeah. you create a different level of trust. Like we deal with hundreds of vendors every day. And like, mm -hmm. you know, if I, if I'm always the guy blowing smoke up their butts and, and doing stuff yeah. like you, you just don't, you don't have as strong as a bond. They don't trust yeah. you. But like, if I'm always honest up front and saying we're doing our best, but maybe we didn't perform as well as we were like, here's what we're going to do to fix that. Yeah. And, and sticking to my guns, then, then that's a vendor that's going to trust me and we're going to be friends for life. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. There's one of my early mentors said something about people tell you that, you know, experience is the best teacher. Yeah. And he told me not true. Evaluated yeah. experience oh. is the best teacher because, sure. you know, age and wisdom don't necessarily come on the same journey. <laughs> like you can sometimes age comes alone. And that idea of like reflecting. And so I think either either consciously or not, it sounds like you started to observe uh, when I do this, that happens. Right. And, and pretty yeah. soon it's like more of this, less of that. I think, I think like when I first started my business, like I adapted quickly that way. Like it was when I, when I got out of high school and I definitely didn't have the grades needed to, to set myself on the proper journey, mm -hmm. but I knew I was, I knew I was destined for something good. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say great because that sounds cocky, but I knew I, really, and like my goal was $50,000 a year graduating in 2001. I'm like, I want to make $50,000 a year. Now, adjusted for inflation, that's $80,000 a year. I went and looked it up like three days ago. So I'm like, I'm like, what was my actual goal back then? Like, what does that mean in today's money? So call it $80,000 a year. That was my, my measure of success. And that is a good income, right? But that's not an income where you can go buy a bunch of supercars, yeah. have a big, beautiful house. Um, so that was my what measure. Was that, what was that based on? Um, well, 50 was an even number back then, right? Yep. So it was like, I was like, I don't know. I think it was just my brain, like mm -hmm. thinking that that's what it, that means that you, you made it to some capacity. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I think I needed to live comfortably. Yeah. Um, and I this knew was in high school, you were having this thought? Or uh, after high school? This was, this was in high school when I formulated yeah. this and I knew what my dad made. I knew what mm -hmm. my mom made. Mm -hmm. I knew combined they were making less than, less than 50 K mm -hmm. combined. I think mm -hmm. they were making probably in the forties. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's hard to live with four kids in the house and yeah. two parents on a $40,000 and I don't, I don't even know what that adjusts to today, and I don't know exactly what they need, but, but I know my dad was making like $16, $17 an hour mm -hmm. supporting a big family. That's tough. Um, How many kids? There was four. Four, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was a, I was the second oldest. Okay. Um, so. Uh, All right, high school, that? you were thinking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, hold on, let me think how to word this. Um, so like that was my base. When I got out of high school, it was, it was okay. Like I need to be serious now. I'm, as I go into a junior college, I need to be serious yeah. now. Uh, so went to the junior college, like really focused hard. Like got my best grades that I'd ever get. Like I had a 3.89 um, GPA on a four mm -hmm. scale, which, which plenty of people do better than that. But for me, like at, with a C minus average in high school, like that was phenomenal. Like I was, I was yeah. damn near in a straight A average in college, and like things were getting serious. Then I, uh, what you, what was your major? Uh, business, like okay. yeah, um, I just did a general. Uh, business administration yeah. degree and so and I knew that could app that could be applicable to other things and so like at that point it was uh it was that's when I started taking life seriously and then when I started the business um, which was in my second year of college that's when I realized that um or when I physically had the business going it was it was pretty quick like right away I, I realized I wanted I wanted to be like integrous yeah. um like I knew my relationship with this first, this one and only supplier we had for the mm -hmm. first two years. Like I knew that was important. Like we need to establish a close bond. Yeah. Um, and that's really important. Like seeing people mm -hmm. face to face uh, and a lot of our, most of our distributors are far away. They're three or yeah. four or flight, but there's a huge, there's a huge level of importance that comes with meeting people face to face, getting to know them, getting yeah. to know their family. And uh, I know that I went off on a tangent, but. No, the, the, I, uh, I want to go down this trail a little uh -huh. bit and then I, I'll come back. I've got a sure. placeholder. Um, 
one of the things in your business, I would imagine, yeah. and um, is certainly you have employees, but but important relationships would I'm, I'm sure it's both sides. So vendors, people who you don't directly influence. Yeah. Right? Like, and and a lot of people want to win. Yeah. Right. They want to negotiate the best deal, or or or, or to their distributors or however your product goes to market. Yep. They they're they're looking for things that like big corporate does to make their quarterly earnings call. Yeah. And my observation is that wasn't your philosophy. Um, and no. that you you bet on the relationships of people who some consider either vendors or, you know, uh, customers as like um, somebody wins, somebody loses. Yeah. What's your philosophy on that? Uh, all the people in your ecosystem yep. and how you want to, to work with them because it's obviously working. Like like the manner in which we approach them, you're saying? Like corporate versus uh, the familial relationship? Yeah, well, like... How do you actually let's go back to the origin story because yeah. that, that might be uh, important to note. You're in college. Uh-huh. Uh, you knew you wanted to have a business of some kind. How did yeah. you choose this one? What kind of like in the either at home or dorm or wherever you're living? Like yep. what, what happened there? Yeah. So I always had entrepreneurial neck, sold snacks to my parents, yep. sold uh, fixed neighborhood bikes, did radio installation. Um, I figured out how to install CD players mm-hmm. and like just kind of self-taught with everything. Um, and then like. Had a had a 1994 Z28 that I worked really hard. I'd already been working five years at age 18, yeah, <laughs> so like yeah. worked really hard, financed this, um, put 16 inch wheels on it, bought from local Firestone. Uh, typical Steve fashion is immediately going and tra- uh, wanting bigger and better. Mm-hmm. So I wanted 18 inch wheels. Like months later, looking up online, there was you know shopping online this time instead of uh, Firestone. I don't know if eBay was. I think I just decided to go online for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It was a great decision. So. Seeing all these wheels listed, I'm like, okay, cool. These are like 500 bucks, whatever the price was. I think it was around that. And then uh, uh, at that moment, I'm like, why am I buying these from a Firestone? Like, let me mm-hmm. just Google this manufacturer, see where they're located. And they happen to have a distribution point right in Elk Grove Village, which is like 30 minutes away from from us mm-hmm. and um, in Wheaton. And so I called them. They rejected me immediately. They're like, no, you have to have a business license, blah, blah, blah. So called them the next day. I said, hey, this is Steve from Firestone. What's my, <laughs> what's my price on this 18-inch yeah. wheel? And they gave me it, and I'm like, okay, I could buy this set for like 300, 325 bucks. They're selling on eBay for 500 bucks, like, and and that that was the moment that I knew that this was going to work. Like, no matter, I, I didn't have any other context. I didn't know what I needed to do to get legal. Um, it was just that night I could not sleep. Like my my mind was racing. I'm like, I, I figured it out. So it, on that moment, so how, yeah, how the traditional uh, supply chain wasn't even thinking of that probably at that point. They had something that worked. Um, but that wasn't that early. It, you know, e-commerce was pretty established roughly at that point. Yeah. So definitely. do you think you had the unique identification of this arbitrage or um, was it, the, you know, the speed at which you executed? Um, it was, you're right. There, there was already people, there were already people doing yeah. it on eBay. Now you always have to have some kind of differentiator, right? And this, mm-hmm. and selling goods that aren't yours, I think is one of the toughest things to mm-hmm. be profitable at, especially in now and the dropship world that it is now. So very few people drop shipping back in the day, so significantly less competition on the internet, despite there being a couple guys that were doing it. I had the advantage of living in my mom's apartment, so mm-hmm. I had no overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was making $8.95 an hour working at the deli at Jewel at the time, so like, if I made 12 bucks an hour doing this, I was happy. So yeah. you had a person working, willing to work endless hours for an extremely low wage, no overhead, um, and that becomes kind of dangerous. And then the manufacturer, there's, it's weird on my life with timing, but the manufacturer that I went to of the 200 that we distribute now, they, uh, they let me in on my radio installation business card that I had. So every time I look back at my life, I'm like, there's certain checkpoints or things that I did 
that helped me at in that moment. Like, had I not had this radio installation business, they I would have had nothing to present to them. They might have said, no, 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 like, you can't do that. That might have ended it. But I had this little card. They shouldn't have sold it to me on a business card. I should have had a, a, a resale number. I should have mm -hmm. had a business license. This one vendor is probably the only one that would have let that slide because they were... Statue of limitations has passed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Because yeah. I got, went and got, like, um, they let me in and started selling, listing on eBay right away. And, and then a week later, I was not under the radar anymore because I sold four or five sets on eBay right away. Uh -huh. um, I'm like, this is working. Like, I knew it would. Mm -hmm. um, even though I might have made, you know, two or three, maybe $4,000 that first month. Like, that was way more mm -hmm. than I was making at Jewel. Um, so a week into it, they're like, yeah, you need a business license. Like, this isn't, we thought you might buy a set yeah, and never yeah. appear again, like for your personal vehicle. And so I'm like, I already know this is going to work. I'll, I'll go buy that stuff. I'll get done. So were you handling it? Was it coming to you and you were getting it to customers or did you just yeah. do it on, on online? I, uh, I learned a lot since then, but mm -hmm. I was basically just taking like their catalog and I was looking online back in the day. You could see what people were set, like what was sold on eBay, mm -hmm. how many times it was sold. So like I knew right away what what good product was, and I knew what the, the guy was selling it at. So I would just go undercut um, this mm -hmm. guy, and it's weird when I think back at like I was shipping from the post like I was doing things all uh -huh. wrong. Like you don't yeah. ship from the post office. You go to UPS. Uh -huh. you, you bundle wheels. You add protection. You offer upsells. But like uh -huh. I knew none of that. Um, but like I figured it out quickly along uh -huh. the way, and so yeah, we were just we were just listing what they had on eBay selling going and picking it up with the customer's yeah. money keeping the the difference i didn't i didn't need any cash you know what's really interesting about that because you know there's a lot of people that um you were 19 20 21 somewhere in there age uh, i was 19. yeah so you've got a lot of ambitious 19 year olds that are in a dorm room that the parents house they're in an yeah. apartment and and they have ideas and they have energy and they can be up till three o'clock in the morning and they're fired up about it yep um and, but a couple of things you said, like really interesting that I see over and over again with the entrepreneurs. Yeah. One is um, it was a, a product you understood, at least you enjoyed. Like you, you, oh, you, yeah. you heard about oh, yeah. it, right? It wasn't just like, Lo oh, this Loved thing. aftermarket stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you did enough uh, market validation, you call it today probably, but like you, <laughs> you knew that there was, a, there was a seller and there was a buyer. Yeah. And that you could make that probably happen more efficiently than someone else. Exactly. The other thing that's interesting is there's a you know relatively new platform. You, ten years prior, you wouldn't have had a place to sell it. Uh, yeah, like without an eBay or without a you know yeah Craigslist yeah. or whatever it would have been exactly um, proof of concept. Like one thing that's really cool I think in the world today is like just what you did is easier and easier, right? Because uh, there are a bunch of free platforms. Yeah, and the scrappiness of what you did is very interesting. And uh, so that I, I look at okay, you identified there's a marketplace. Yeah. There's a product. I know it. Risk of failure was time and effort. Yeah, it was almost nothing. And but you but you capitalized on it. And the other thing yeah. that's really interesting is you you know I would now that business is probably one of the top businesses in that in the in the space competitive wise like uh, our our business for wheels and tires. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tire Rack is like internet presence. I think Tire Rack is bigger than this, and I think we're the. I think as far as wheel sales go, yeah. I I'm pretty sure we're number one in the probably the world yeah. for aftermarket wheel sales. Okay, so this is awesome. Yeah. You're scrappy trying to figure it out. And okay, it's not very scalable to um, do what you did and to ship it from the post office and stuff. You're not number one in the world. Yeah. And, you know, over and over again, you kind of see these things that sometimes to scale massively, you have to do some very unscalable things. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you being that close to it reminds me a little bit of what you mentioned with your childhood. Like, 
when you oh, yeah. see the consequence of your choices, you feel the pain and you feel the pleasure firsthand. You also know how to watch your pennies. Like, yeah. like I would, it would be rare. Like my grandma would mail us $2 every year for our birthday and like we'd wait. Mm-hmm. I would wait for that card. Adjusted for inflation, that's like $5. Um, <laughs> so, so five bucks. Um, I would wait and like we would carefully craft how we were going to spend that. And the yeah. same thing, like I was looking at my bottom line. Grant, I did go ship at the post office, but I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know UPS existed. And it was nothing like it is now where, mm-hmm. where it's coming all the time because people are always ordering stuff online. Um, so like I did, I measured every sale. I kept a spreadsheet early on. Mm-hmm. I was horrible with, with uh, Excel at the time, but I like figured out a way to track every sale, my shipping costs, and I would look at profit and then we would just find ways to optimize. Like, and then I went to Ace, Ace, uh, local hardware store. I don't know if it's nationwide chain. They, uh, they shipped UPS and I'm like, I just went in there one day and they're like, well, this is cheaper, interesting. Mm-hmm. And then a, a week or two into that, I'm like, okay, why don't I just contact UPS directly? Right. Save money that way. Um, just constantly figuring out how to cut costs without hurting. And then that helped the consumer because yep. I didn't have to run to Ace. I didn't have to have that time delay. Like I can ship from UPS right out of my facility. Yep. They damage less, they delivered stuff together. They were faster than the post office, so it was cost savings that were benefit adds to the customer, which is a huge win. Yeah, well, it's interesting too because you mentioned, <clears throat> um, and I'm sure I'm sure that's true. It's like selling a product that's not yours is one of the hardest things because yeah. potentially it's a race to zero on price. On oh, the yeah. other hand, <clears throat> you know, probably how you win is you build the ecosystem in a better way. So probably that first vendor and others, like the way you manage those relationships, is like that. I'm sure that they weren't the adversary, right? That was part of what enabled it. Initially, you know, Ace was part of the part yeah. of the program. Like, yeah. like everyone in that was was part of the story of you getting there. Yeah, and there's and there's a different way that you treat people when, like, right now we have a huge amount of leverage. There are people knocking on our door. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was like this is my one guy. I don't know yeah. of other people that exist, and like I need to extremely value this relationship. And we still show everyone that they care. And like I, I love working directly even now um, with with salesmen and other partners, but. But it was a different world back then. Like if if they had folded or something, or they cut me out like that, that was critical. Like yeah. that was my that was my life then. Um, but but yeah. we're gonna talk about this in infant stage too, because like when the seed is not yet out of the ground, uh-huh. it's like very vulnerable, right? And very. And, yeah. and that so that point, you're you're uh, going to college. You got a business coming together. Yeah. Um, what was you know the the people you surrounded yourself with? Um, were they all supportive? Were they all negative? Like, what did you what did you experience yeah. as a kid like that? Like, uh, uh, for yeah. some people, peer influence or parent, whoever influence matters. What did you have yeah. around you? Um, so my brother Joel joined really early. He's always been he's been instrumental in the company. He's been since the a month into the business. He's been with us, and he's brought a lot to the to the business and strengthened it with with his ideas. And um, my my wife, who I was already with four years or three years at that point, and mm. we're we've been together twenty. Uh, four years now and she's always been like she understood right away because instantly my time went from having some free time to yeah. no free time for the next 10 years <laughs> so yeah. like, she supported it and like she got it like if if steve says that he has to run into the office and yeah. work from 5 to 10 p.m like okay like it's it i'm not happy about it but like it's fine i understand it so I now i know it. the whole story because if you you were with her before you started the business then yeah. that makes a lot of sense because yeah. when uh when we moved into your house and we wanted to know any question, we'd ask her because you didn't know anything. So, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, like that, that's, that's, that's really important. So somebody that you knew, trusted, loved um, through the process, yeah. uh, not everyone has. So that's, that's cool. Yes. How, maybe we'll talk about this later. Pa- but, parent, parents yeah. was different though. I wanted to get in that. Like, yeah. Um, and, and this is, this is probably why, why I need therapy. But like, I, I think back at it and I'm like, I never feel like they were, they were proud. It was like, it, and um, it was, it always felt like, 
and I think this is why my mindset, it was, okay, cool. Like, like how can, how can this benefit us mm-hmm. is, is how, mm-hmm. so it was, it was never good enough. And I think that's mm-hmm. why even today, yeah. like I'm, I never just sit and enjoy my accomplishments. It's, it's like, great. I've done mm-hmm. this. What can I do? That's, that's bigger and better. How can I, and this is why the company mm-hmm. continues to grow. It's, it's, I'm never going to sit back and just, and just be comfortable. I'm always mm-hmm. going to look for other opportunities to continue growing this. And, and I never really feel, I, I never sit back and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just successful. Like I'm going to just mm-hmm. ride the coattails of what I've done. And it's, I, I still feel the same that I did in year one. It's just keep, keep going, yeah. keep grinding. That's, uh, what's your motivation now? Um, retiring. <laughs> I just, <laughs> co- contrary to everything yeah. I just said, um, it has now gotten to a point where like legitimately like, and I still feel the way that I did. Like I, I'm gonna keep going until I go. But like I would love to, to go to a PE firm and, and and get us to the valuation mm-hmm. that I need to get us to, and sell and still retain some ownership, yeah. still be active for whatever the employment agreement is or is for. But I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for the successor demise of the company. Yeah. Um, so I just wanna. I just wanna have that stress and burden of, of running the entire company. And we have other plenty mm-hmm. of other people that run the company. So yeah. it's not just me running the company yeah. um, and, and just retire. And that's, that's one thing that's really impressive to me is, to, you know, from my observation from the outside in is that you're in a business that could, could be very likely dependent upon you or yeah. on you and Joel, right? Yeah. And, you know, my understanding, again, from having like a son who was like in the cogs of the warehouse, uh, customers and others reputationally that it's a system. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, obviously, when, when you're raising capital or when you're looking to exit or whatever, it's such a big thing for, I, I spend a lot of time evaluating companies. Sure. I get way too many pitches because I'm, I'm nice to say yes. Yeah. And I'm mean to say no. <laughs> but, you know I mean? yeah, like, yeah. but but the pitches are really interesting because when people talk about I, I, me, me, I'm like, okay, so I'm investing on this person. That's the evaluation. Sure. If it's the business, then I was like, that person's good because they would have put the culture in place. Yeah. But really, if they're not the crucial person, this is way more valuable business. Yeah. And that's my, my perception of the business yeah. is that. And we and we kind of did that. So we we thought in mid-20, we're like, okay, this company is getting pretty big yeah. at this point, and, and we should probably step away and go hire a big C-suite. Yeah. And so we hired some guys that were very capable that that worked in, in very big corporate, far bigger mm-hmm. than what we were. And um and and they did a good job, don't get me wrong, but like but we we came back in because what we as owners have is is vision for the future. Like mm-hmm. and and like I worked in every sector. Like mm-hmm. even that year, that May of 2020, I had to go in the warehouse for a month, working from 5 a.m. to 12 to tw- to midnight because mm-hmm. COVID wrecked our warehouse. We got stimulus checks um, that tripled our business in a month, and like you can't scale for three x. How many orders were exactly fourteen hundred dollars? Uh, how many orders? Or what, wasn't it fourteen hundred? There was some number. It's like two thousand bucks is the average oh. ticket price, and oh, oh but I, I mean during, uh, during COVID, uh, yeah, typical yeah. backlog was a day or two, which was like three hundred orders a day, so we'd be three to six hundred order backlog. Um, we got like five thousand orders behind. It was scary. Wow. Like and and there were like trailers sitting out in the parking lot unloaded of product that were for customer orders that needed to be mounted, balanced, yeah. assembled. Um, and and I'm I'm sitting in Florida actually the whole month of April and and yeah. the manager at the times like everything's under control like we're behind but it's all mm-hmm. measured and then I, I get back from Florida and I walk in my warehouse I'm like oh my fucking gosh like it w- it looked like an earthquake shook everything uh-huh. off you couldn't walk there were orders lost everywhere mm-hmm. I'm like I don't have anybody right now that can fix there's nobody in this organization that can fix this so the next morning I'm there at 5 a.m. and and like this is what separates I think a lot of a lot of successful people from people that can't sustain a business and yeah. like 
I'm there doing 13, 14 dollar an hour labor yeah. um, for a solid month, getting this place organized and back on track. And, yeah. and that's exactly what happened. Like, so I worked in every facet of the company. I did customer yeah. service for the first eight years. I listed auctions at some point. Like, and, and so having me back in the mix, like I know how everything operates and works together. Yeah. I know how one thing affects the other. And so I think that there's a lot of value with me and some other owners that we have now just coming in and sharing that perspective and, and getting this company growing. That's really interesting because it, like very different industry. I've spent most of my career in tech and yeah. you know, a lot of sort of Silicon Valley companies. But the same, a lot of times when a company starts to get wobbly, the founder comes back in, like two yeah. things happen. Like you look at you know, Steve Jobs, you look at Jack with Twitter, yeah. now X. Um, this story is on and on. Um, often too, it's like the, the external professionals they hired. Yeah. Um, and then when they come back in, they're like, oh, actually it's a different profile. I yeah. thought the job was this, the job's actually that. Yes. And a lot of times it's that, it's the, uh, I just started to read Walter Isaacson's um, biography of Elon Musk. Sure. And it, there's, oh. well, there's one part in there and it's, you know. Just, it just came out, like it, didn't it just come yeah, out? I mean, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I pre-ordered it and stuff. And, right. um, but but it, it, people, whether you like him or not, like one yeah. of the things, you know, he, it was a sense of urgency. Yeah. When he bought X, Twitter at the time. Sure. And like there was something about moving, moving a uh, data center and again, I read about, I maybe read a good that. idea, maybe a bad idea. Yeah. But the idea of like getting down under the floor, unhooking uh -huh. cables, whether it's right or wrong, like the modeling the behavior of a sense of urgency is really interesting. And yeah. we as entrepreneurs get cr criticized about it a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You're moving too fast. You're making decisions without full sets of data. Yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of the like super brilliant Wharton MBA kind of person who might critique those things. Um, seems like your instincts, though, have been generally right as far as how the business yeah I think, yeah i think uh, i think the owners in general like we have a great yeah. group of, of people mm -hmm. and i think that instinctually like we're, we're super good and, and right. our c-suite is really good at at executing some of their ideas and executing our ideas yeah. and just running the company um so yeah it's it's uh it's fascinating i i think um one of the things that i we're gonna we're gonna come back to it from the you know from the ace yeah. uh, shipping but one thing that i think is really interesting again my perception of the culture, if you want to call it that, but the, the people, the, the, the fun, the energy, the work ethic, like you just have a team of people that um, that's the kind of business you want to build. And so many people, you know, kind of have this um, people dread Monday and love Friday. Yeah. Uh, what's been, how have you learned to attract people like that from, um, from your, you know, your owners and executives all the way down to, you know, the, the yeah. new person that's temporary? The cool thing is that we're not doing, we're not doing boring stuff. And mm -hmm. um, like, we're not selling gaskets. We're not selling oil filters. Um, we're not selling like shipping foam and I hate, yeah. and I'm sorry if anybody out there is doing that, but, um, no we're selling, like, shipping foam yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably awesome. we're, we're selling like stuff, like yeah. the number one modification to a vehicle is, is wheels and tires. Yeah. Um, and that's what like aesthetically like changes the vehicle the most. And then we're also doing performance and suspension. We're not doing alternators, the boring stuff, mm -hmm. like what we sell are enthusiast product. Yeah. So we have a very enthusiast, um, purchasing base. And then we have, and then thus that attracts enthusiasts we love hiring enthusiasts because yeah. they come in they know what they're doing they learn quicker that doesn't mean that everybody in our organization is an enthusiast but like the percentage of enthusiasts in our organization sure. versus the average is significantly higher you go mm -hmm. to our parking lot up in wisconsin and you're like wow this is a car show like every day is a car show here everybody that doesn't mean everyone has yeah. million dollar cars but everyone has some cool cars that yeah. they modify and they alter and uh and that's that's great like we don't even have to work too hard to find yeah. enthusiasts that's really interesting too because that connection to the product yeah like right, it's really um people who are passionate about it i yeah. think it was um zappos in the early days you know yeah. like they were into it and their customer service was like second to none yeah um so how involved are you or have you been you know in the course of uh 
hiring, yeah, firing, just um, personnel decisions. I've hired, I've hired hundreds of people along mm -hmm. the way. Now, now it's more I'm recognizing major gaps. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at metrics every morning with the team, and and we're saying, okay, customer service has been behind for mm -hmm. like a solid week or two. Let's let's look at what the what the uh, hiring need is, but it's not much beyond that. I'm not doing interviews right now. I'm not yeah. you know going to Indeed or or, or ZipRecruiter yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. So so uh, when you're in hiring mode. Or you know, either when you're involved or over the years. Yeah. Other than like the capability to do the skill that's required, what do you filter for? What do you look for in people? Um, back, yeah, when I hired, it was the, the biggest thing was well, there's three huge things I think. Um, one was uh, length of tenure at a job, right? Like if someone had six jobs in five years, I, d I wouldn't even look at that mm -hmm. person, even if they were maybe a rock star at all six of their jobs. Mm -hmm. um, that's that doesn't typically speak well to someone. And now keep in mind, like this is this is through the filter of I've got a hundred applications to yeah. go through, um, and uh, and I'm even more I'm even um, what do they call it? I would say I'm my my measures for we have an overseas team as well, mm -hmm. and like I'm even more harsh with them. It's like mm -hmm. if they forgot to reference the job posting, like I say mm -hmm. reference job A. Like if they didn't even do that, I just archive it. Mm -hmm. um, so job history, and then I look for experience as it relates to the particular position. If yeah. someone's hiring for customer service and they've been an auto mechanic. For four years, okay, yeah, you're, you have an automotive background, but you know maybe I need to dig deeper. Right. Look at this guy's education. Education is, it really doesn't matter unless I hate to say it, but like there's there's a, I think there's a a social kind of construct set up around you need to have an education, and and I think mm. I fell into that um, back then. I think I would look at it differently now. Yeah. But uh, if someone's gonna apply for you know a six figure position, like they probably. And I think it still is largely this way in the corporate world. Like they needed to have the tenacity to get through that four-year degree. Yeah. And I didn't really care as much where they went. It was just like, did you achieve that? Yeah. Okay, great. Like that's like I'm going to look at that, and that that means something. Hmm. Um, and I, I still think that's I, from mentors and other people that I've talked to. I still think that's highly relevant that yeah. you that you have that. Um, By that you mean the ability to follow through on something, or yeah. the ability to yeah yeah that yeah. shows that that you spent yeah. that time and. Um, even though it may have been easier, you drank your whole way through it. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think that that's necessarily true, though. Like, yeah. if, if someone doesn't have that and they've had great job history, and again, this is, I think, differently yeah. now, like, there's no reason that I should um, discriminate against that yeah. person. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, and I think a lot of the world is opening up to that. Some yeah. was labor scarcity, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're for, you're forced. You, and this is, you know, working with the Bay Area companies a lot. You yeah. know, it was like everyone pretty much, it, you know, it was uh, Stanford and then, you know, yeah. Harvard Wharton. And then you went to Google, and then you went around the valley. Uh, as soon as the scarcity came on, then suddenly it was like, oh, junior colleges are okay. And then it was like, well, let's <laughs> these programs for, you know, uh, underprivileged uh, communities who, you know, dropped out of high school. Uh, and by the way, like, the, it's really, I would, you talked a little bit about your journey on, like, as time went on, you realized the value more and more of doing the right thing, treating people right, yeah. integrity. Yeah. And I, I observed that. The ability to, when someone says, can you do this? They're not asking, have you done it? Yeah. And that was my creativity hack when I was younger because like, I hadn't done any of it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, at one time, I had not ever been to Europe. Sure. Uh, I, I was on an airplane the first time when I was 18. And, but I, I sold uh, my house, uh, my cars. Uh, I kept my wife and kids. We moved to, <laughs> we, we moved to England. I'd never been to Europe. Yeah. And I was responsible moved. for, you know, where it ended up being eventually like, you know, EMEA. Um, I only speak one language moderately well. But I think that idea of like, can you do it? Not have you done it? Yeah, is interesting. Yeah. Do you consider so? Use an example. College is an example of commit to something and follow through. Yeah. Um, do you look at like music and arts and sports and things that are non 
academic in a similar way or uh, like do I if they indic if they put that on their let's, resume let's do say I they're uh, like an Eagle Scout or I'm just thinking of examples of something where they you know um I don't like not really I, I, it would be like were they a yellow belt or yeah. uh, like it was more applicable to the job no I, I did not look at that stuff now yeah. keep in mind I, I, I wasn't I never went to school for HR or yeah. anything and I haven't hired in like yeah. eight years um, so no. <laughs> how, much, how much do you? Um, how much of it was what's on paper? There's, there's a definitely a filter there. Yeah. But then once you're face to face with them, yeah. How much of it is um, intangible, or you know, yeah. kind of your impression of them? Uh, I think that's I think that's a big part of it. Uh, the way that that they speak and carry themselves, and uh, like there's people that I've talked to that were that were brief and concise, and mm -hmm. like that can be good in in some cases, but like I, a lot of times I knew very early on we're talking the first minute of a mm -hmm. initial phone screening that this person wasn't right. Like they, like they just lacked motivation in their voice. Um, so a lot, like there's, yeah. there's a lot of that, but I've also found that a lot of people that, that talk and hype themselves up, like they're, that's all they are is hype. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so it's, we, it's yeah. interesting. I, I made a career essentially of uh, leading sales organizations. Yeah. And what that's one of the challenges with what I call outbound professionals, sales, recruiting, marketing, is uh, if somebody's great at interviewing, yep, it's probably likely they've done a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, sure. Some of the some of the best people are like they don't know how to interview because they've never done it. Yeah, um, I had a guy one time who hadn't put a resume together for ten years. And I'm like, that's that's actually great news. <laughs> so, but like you said too, that um, the intangible, you know, part about the, the energy, the conduct, yeah. the way that in which they show respect, but not uh, what do you want to call it. Um, they're not a yes person or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and there are people that I've seen out in the wild where, like, I had a guy at Oberweiss, uh, a local mm -hmm. ice cream store that you know about, but, like, Fantastic. I had a server, and, like, a few times where, where I'm like, this this guy's really, yeah. really intelligent. He's treating me well. Like, he's entering the order. And, like, even with, with drive throughs I'm like, they put the strongest yeah. person, and I have this experience from working at, at McDonald's. Like, they put the strongest person at the order-taking position mm -hmm. in a drive through That's the highest volume. Um, and that requires a great level of accuracy. Sure. And so, like, that's that's your strong employee right there. So, like, having good experience with some of these people where I've, I've been like, hey, like, you know, what are you making right now? Like, yeah. wh why don't you come and, and talk to one of us? And we've hired a lot of those people, and, like, we found extremely good success with those people. Now I kind of – I'll still recommend people, and I'll usually use that kind of same filter if I find, like, high-level people that I know or that I've that I've met through other people. I'll send them through, mm -hmm. and, like, those are, those are good employees. I've, I've learned a lot now. On, on how to just kind of filter out mm -hmm. the bad and bring in the good, and, and that all comes with with have, doing hundreds of interviews at that point, right? Yeah. Um, but my, my favorite question, and and it's cliche a little bit, but like it's it's catching them off, and, and it always saw, seemed to catch them off guard. It was like, what would your what would your boss tell you that you need to improve the most on? Mm -hmm. Some people were smart and they knew, like, you know, I just I work too hard. Like I stand, mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, that that that's cliche in itself, yeah. but. Uh, that's where so many people where I'm like, okay, this, this guy seems like a pretty decent candidate. That's where so many people lost the, mm -hmm. the, the job through the interview that they, they, they didn't realize they lost their job right there. And it was a, a lot of them were like, mm -hmm. well, I tend to like, I am a little bit on the slower side of the performance or something. I don't like, right, I'm not going to bring you in. If yeah. you're, if you're the lower end of the metric hitting, then, mm -hmm. then it's not going to happen. Or like, I tend to chat too much or my, my least favorite one was like, uh, you know, the management and I don't seem to get along. I'm mm -hmm. like, you can't have an employee in that, that is toxic or, or that doesn't jive well with management. Yeah. So, so many jobs lost at that question and a critical question to ask. Isn't it interesting how, uh, the way people speak about their previous relationships. Um, all right. So, uh, 
I want to come back to something that's like a really interesting moment too, because you, you know, we talked about the the, the um, inception phase, we talked about the proof of concept phase with yeah. your business, and um, I just went right back here because I didn't huh? jump around. Um, right. Put the two of us together, we'll probably never be able to create a straight line. <laughs> and then, you know, that so you now have sort of like you know, early phase, and um, w- what are some of just the key highlights along the way that, that you know either tipping yeah. points or acceleration yeah. points? L- lots of lots of tipping points along the way where if I didn't just do that one thing, like the business ceased to exist. Yeah. Um, recognizing that that eBay and marketplaces um, weren't a good thing to, to mm-hmm. just solely rely on. So launched a website in 2008, five years, it took us five years, unfortunately, to realize it, but um, launching that website and diversifying and getting direct to the consumer without having to deal. Because mm-hmm. now we, now a tenth of a percent of our stuff gets sold on eBay. Mm-hmm. So it's it's wow. where it was 100% up till that point. Um, eBay changed their fee structure. It's just a different, it's very different than it was right. back in the day. Um, assembling wheels and tires right around the same time, like differentiating ourselves. If we had mm-hmm. already, it had been a little stale. All we were doing was adding more and more wheels. Um, we were like the first people in the world to mountain balance. Like you, like I don't think people understood that they were getting a fully assembled package at their door. Navigating through that, navigating through the shipping. That's 65% of all of our orders are mountain balance and assembled mm-hmm. now. Um, upsells, like figuring out that... Um, as we grow and scale, fixed costs increase. I'm not working out of my mom's apartment anymore. Like, yeah. we need to find ways to add revenue on top of that. So, you know, ceramic coating, adding tire pressure sensors, lug nuts, um, those are a critical part of the, of the machine. Um, merging and acquiring a company called Elites, it was another eBay company. Um, granted, this was uh, nine years into it, but they, they, uh, we had kind of everything but great programming mm-hmm. capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so he brought Ryan over to Elites, who is one of the owners now brought in an amazing ability to like get us a database, get us tied to live active inventory, um, dynamically create listings on eBay. It took us nine years to list 30,000 auctions by hand on eBay. He had us at a half million within six months. <laughs> so it's awesome. like he's dynamically yeah. creating wheel mm-hmm. and tire packages and it's all tied to inventory. It wasn't tied to inventory before. We would sell mm-hmm. it and then find out it was back ordered. And then he's just pick, pulling as yeah. uh, stuff go out of stock. Um, launching uh, customs uh, offsets and fitment industries in 14 and 17, those were very enthusiast-driven brands. Mr. Wheeldale was like, I don't want to call it the Walmart. It was just kind of the catch-all. There was no yeah. real brand identity. It was just like, come here to buy wheels. Where Custom Offsets was like, if you're a truck enthusiast, if like that's your scene, show mm-hmm. trucks, off-roading, this is the place for you. Fitment was like the the equal but for the car world, the tuner world. And like, so Custom Offsets Fitment Industries are the biggest brands that we have. Yeah. That's 75, 80% of our sales now come through those two channels. And, um, and then... Uh, uh, merging, acquiring. So mm-hmm. custom offsets fitment were not launched by me, but we always, we were a huge part of those in mm-hmm. the beginning. Um, partners that are now my partners did the the branding and the web development. Yeah. We did the negotiations, fulfillment, customer service, mounting, balancing, shipping, everything. And so we had kind of a lot of these deals going on. We launched our own brand too. Um, and those are a big part of our, our profit mm-hmm. now that, that help us uh, keep sustainable profits. And so in 2019, we kind of merged all that together because there were a lot of people doing yeah. things. And so now there's six owners. And that was a critical stage. That was when we started seeing we were averaging 35% growth. And that's when we started seeing 50 plus percent growth. Um, and it's weird because I owned 100% of SD Wheel mm-hmm. prior to that. And then I and then I came into my percentage now, which is much less, but I was worth more the next day by a lot because yeah. a PE firm doesn't want to look at some funky relationship between like right. five six different companies with different owners that are like symbiotic but and yeah. so all of them under one umbrella far more attractive and yeah and so I, I love that mindset too because it's you know taking a 
uh, smaller piece of a bigger pie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or make more pies. Yeah. Um, you, know, the, you mentioned something too uh, around like something I think is just worth identifying because like a lot of listeners are in different industries uh-huh. and especially the niche side, like you're almost building, you know, you're, you're selling an experience, right? Yeah. If I'm somebody who's like an off-road, I mean, that's a community, it's a cult, right? Yeah. And, and most of them catering to that is something that um, when you have a loyalist to a, mm-hmm. a concept, yeah. like that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so now, you know, you fast forward, you fast forward through that, you, you're like one of the top businesses in your industry in the world. And um, you maybe predicted that when you're 19 years old, but <laughs> on a personal side, regardless of the business itself, what were the real, you know, with the business itself, what yeah. were the things that either you had to overcome or that were helpful? So you're, you're in this stage where you didn't have a lot economically. Yeah. You started grinding it. Yeah. Um, you have a relationship that's continuous throughout all of this with your wife. Yeah. You're starting to build a family. Like, I can feel that, like, knowing you personally, that that probably had a lot of stability. But I'm sure that there mm-hmm. were either, what are those moments, if you'd put dots on the line, that were important personally? Um, that were important personally? Um... Let me think through this because because I gave you more of the business benchmarks where yeah. had we not pivoted, um, we would either be nothing mm-hmm. um, or a teeny tiny business. Um, I mean, like the consistent was was my wife understanding mm-hmm. and respecting like that COVID that May of 2020 was was the most pivotal mm-hmm. moment, I think, for our business. And like we were we were near collapse at yeah. that point. Um, but like, I mean, my, my wife's my wife's support i think is pivotal there are moments where i wanted to throw my laptop out the window because Mm -hmm. i was just working so much and and like just her understanding like that that's that's the way that it is um it's like it's hard to it's hard to say that because it was just it was always consistent like we haven't had like there was a moment where um, uh that first vendor we were with um like shut us down and we mm-hmm. and that was our only vendor at that point and we're like i'm like oh my god like they changed our pricing and then because they didn't internet was scary back then it was mm-hmm. still scary mm-hmm. even though it was out for a while and so i had to i had found a way to call their ceo i'm like i, I can't i can't get this done through the and it's funny because on the call i made the mistake of saying like i wasn't trying to be negative but i'm like you know you guys are like for whatever reason i don't know what the context was but i, I called them the walmart of of wheels mm. and i meant it in a positive way and she's like are you calling us the Walmart? Of, I'm like, oh my god, this is not going well. But like, by the end of the call, I I got her to realize that like, this is the way. Like, this is the future. Like, we're not bad guys. We're good guys. We pay you guys on time. Like, we want to continue to grow with you guys. And so, in that moment, like that was a, we could cease to exist, or we mm-hmm. could get back to our pricing and allow them to continue drop shipping for us. And um, it's interesting that that tenacity of like, in some people wilt, in that situation, yeah. and some people lean in and have courage. Yeah. What. Uh, I wonder before we wrap up to yeah. how did you handle success? Like a lot of times when you don't have something and you have it, some people thrive and it. Some yeah. some of it's challenging. How did you handle that? Always, always lived uh, pretty conservatively. To be honest, um, I lived in the same house for ten years. I bought it in '06 um, in Wheaton too, mm-hmm. and so like I always lived relatively conservatively. That doesn't mean that I didn't. I, w- I was frugal, but like I, I would. I love to eat, so I'd still go out and dine constantly. Mm-hmm. I had a BMW M5, so like I could have went and got a cooler, nicer car. Um, and things did fall off a cliff in 2018 when I just started living yeah. less conservatively. But like, not not like it was more about like using my income to help. Like, I don't even want to say help. It was like enrich others, and that's yeah. part of our mission statement with the Hamilton Collection. But it was it was like 
I want to give people experiences that I was never able to have. I want to take people out to dinner. I want to take people to Florida. Mm-hmm. I want to show my friends a good time and do this. And so uh, most of it was was through that. Yeah. And um, and and then in 2018, I, I one of the other owners had a, a Ventador. And he's like, just do it, man. Just yeah. just buy it. And so that's what started the whole stupid collection that it is now. And like that yeah. that was like that was like what I was doing on crack because people getting in an Aventador. That's like I didn't realize how life. It's a metaphor, not a literal crack. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize uh, I didn't realize how impactful that was yeah. to people just getting into sit and drive cars. So yeah. seeing that and and how like like there are people traveling now from New York to go yeah. just check out the collection, and I'm like, this is I wouldn't do that, but um, but like but nobody with with hypercars particularly million dollar cars yeah. is letting people sit in their cars and, and letting people drive them, and and I've crazily let you know a 16 year old drive my Bugatti, and I thought I was yeah. gonna die, but like. But like this is like these are stories like and I'm hearing about this through like I'll meet a friend of a friend and he's like oh yeah I heard about you through like my cousin who mm-hmm. you let drive I'm like that's that's just so weird and it and it really impacts and it spreads and so like um, it's it's yeah I mean I know you said so how does it, it change was it the um, was it the reaction you saw in people when you gave them that experience you saw that. Did that give you like a bigger vision that you could do something with this? Like, I don't think like I don't think I ever looked like how can I make more money so I can it, enrich more lives. Yeah. I think it was because I think it was more just the 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 lack of parental padding on the back that that right. gives you that like right. it was more the drive to just make more and more money. Yeah. But I didn't. I wasn't like I want to make enough money to get a Bugatti. I want to make. It was just I want to make as much money as I can. Period. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I've just found that by doing that, you you just get cooler things. You get yeah. greater access. And the Hamilton collection gives me access. My favorite is access to other influencers yeah. and like celebrities, and that that means even more than cars. Letting my crew and friends and other people meet, you know, very well known figures because I have this channel. So yeah. It's it's just happening. It's not that's not the goal, but like, but I I love and and it's it's my the greatest perk of yeah. having this income. That's you know what that is the personification, especially because I love cars. Sure. That's to me the personification. I had a, a, an early mentor of mine, who um, he said, you know, sometimes there's a strong perception in capitalism mm-hmm. that a lot of people, uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs will use people to make money. Yeah. He said, you want to really thrive, you use money. For people, yeah, and and that that idea of like the people I know, just having lived in a community, you know, the um, I think you had loaned some of your cars to uh, Wheaton Warnville South for I don't know, homecoming, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and by the way, if anybody's listening from Wheaton South, better than North, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I mean, and, and those kids were lit, you know, like my kids, yeah. like in the ecosystem. So yeah. from that and their friends, and it was just it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, there's not like direct personal gain for that, right? It's, it's just no. it empowers the community. I mean. This personal game. That was my school. It well, was well, my for sure. Matter. But, but, <laughs> but, but uh, I would have I I said yes yeah. to, to any other school. It just yeah. happened to be the one that's that's there. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And, and a lot of that's not like it's, hey, can you come yeah. to this this charity car show? And I'm like, and I'm worn out. And, and I'm like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll send a car to, yeah. we'll get it there to help you to bring your mission. I mean, that is the that is like the goal of, of the channel. But at the same time, we can't attend three car shows a day yeah. every day. So yes. And, and you and that um, a lot of people are like, Wow, you spent all this money, and it's just you know going out. What what is the um, how do you monetize that, or how do you um, use that money to, to generate yeah, so, money for charities and stuff? So started the channel. We're talking about the Hamilton collection. Yeah, so, Hamilton collection. Um, started the Hamilton collection about two years ago with the goal of of like showcasing the hypercars mm-hmm. and and serving the mission of giving access to, to yeah. these cars, going to charitable organizations. The the channel technically it's for profit the way the corporate structure, but every yeah. every all the money that I make from it. My wife and I donate personally. Mm-hmm. There's some tax benefits there on the way that we structured right. it, but um, so like 
that my never, my goal was never to to make income. Now, what I would like to do is make enough income to cover my overhead because right, right now I actually donate everything. Like, yeah. if the channel makes twenty three thousand dollars a month, I donate twenty three thousand mm-hmm. dollars a month. I don't go look at my thirty thousand dollars worth yeah. of overhead um, because I'm not going to donate negative seven thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So, my my goal is to to get it to a point where I don't have to donate all revenue. Right. It should be bottom yeah, uh, my, my, bottom line. Yeah. You get the gross versus net thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the first goal. So yeah. I'd love to I'd love the channel and, and I think we're headed there. Like I'd love it to make a million dollars a year. My expenses are four hundred grand. I donate the Delta. That's still very healthy, great donations. Um, but uh, I think people have really resonated well because of my my upbringing. The channel's grown. We, we're so blessed and fortunate the way that it's grown. But um, the upbringing, the fact that I'm already in the automotive industry, um, really helps. You have an entrepreneur that's actually in. Mm-hmm. Uh, a vertical that all of these other people like and and uh and the fact that we're sharing and, and being communal with the cars lending out eight of them for a prom i'm sorry it was a homecoming um i don't know what i would like now i think about that i'm like oh that's 17 year old girls and boys <laughs> go drive my cars on yeah. prom um and so like it's it's great because it's growing and we are earning more income we're getting brand deals now um, I'm advertising yeah. and, and like I refused to do that for the first two years because it I think it would hurt the metrics and the videos and I think it will hurt us a little bit now but the, the pay is so good since yeah. we've grown the channel enough where where I can go make some pretty good money by doing a 30 second ad I'll scrutinize which ads yeah. I'm not going to go ad, um, advertise for something I don't believe in but yeah, um, yeah well, I mean, probably I not any risk mitigation companies based on your willingness <laughs> to increase stuff. but yeah, just for like, real no I, insurance company I, although I have uh, yeah yeah insurance company yeah you, you you plugged somebody because they did they did they did you right uh, on on a show I was watching yeah, recently so yeah, that, that's, that's awesome man I he mean, said like, I changed this he's like I he ch- you changed my business yeah. like by doing that he's like I have had four or five hundred quotes from that and and yeah. that those are lifetime customers yeah uh, but you know what's cool about that though is uh, my my perception is. You told the story, um, uh, and we'll send, we'll let people know where to go to go find you, and they mm-hmm. can go find the story on their own. But you told the story, I think, authentically because you appreciated they went out of their way to serve you, right? To, to yeah. be insurance companies, a lot of times have the, the reputation of selling people things they don't ever want them to use. Yeah. And so he did you right. Absolutely. You acknowledge that compounding effect. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, maybe they'll, I'll come for a close with that I feel like, um, first of all, thanks for taking the time to of be course. here. Um, your. Uh, there's this life philosophy I've started to boil down from people that I've spent, like, how people succeed. And there's, like, three things that I think. There's there's a misperception from some people that, that success is bad yeah. and money is bad and entrepreneurs are bad and capitalism is bad. And I think anybody can do math can figure that's not true, yeah. that compassionate capitalism is an amazing way to empower people through economic yeah. opportunity. But one of the things that, that there's three traits that I think your story, like, if you're writing a three-chapter book, would sure. probably fit well. First chapter is learn. Mm-hmm. Second one is earn. And the last one is return. And where the things that you do, it's like kind of the epitome of awesome for somebody who's into cars. Sure. Uh, That that kind of cars. And being able to run that back into the community, theoretically, that you can inspire. If if the seed is planted with Steve Hamilton, that is then nurtured and responsibly grown and not going off the rails crazy, but being able to, uh, maybe to some degree, but but being able to sow that (laughs) in other people, you know, that could be hundreds, thousands, whatever. You know, like it's the... You know, how many seeds are in an apple? But the real question is how many apples are in a seed? Yeah. And I love what you're doing. I like, you know, the, the way you have your personality uh, seems like you're you. Yeah. And you're doing, but you're aware that your words and, and audience, you have unintended consequences because you have this big megaphone. Yeah. And, and so I think you're conscious of that. And this has been the PG version of me, I think, a little bit. Yeah, There's, for sure. I, I, mean, I usually yeah. sneak in for that. This is a family channel. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but this is, you know, um, 
I bought the guy's house, so we're, we I, the, <laughs> all the insider stuff. No, but the, the but I, I just I want to acknowledge that that there's certain behavior. Uh, one of my goals is to catch people doing things right. Sure. And the way that I that you just described how you built your business and, mm-hmm. and building your life, um, we're all imperfect, you know. But like, yeah, sure. I love it, and I appreciate you know what you're doing and what Thanks. that does to the community. If we can have anybody that has a dream and a work ethic uh, and the right kind of attitude. If we can empower them in some way, and I think you're one of the people that does that, and Thank so I appreciate great to know that. you. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. As we wrap up here, where can they find you? Uh, either Hamilton Collection or SD Wheeler. Yeah, you can. Uh, you can just literally go on. Um, I mean, the HamiltonCollection.com yeah. links all of our social media channels, yeah. and then if you're looking for wheels or tires, Fitment Industries, CustomOffsets.com are the big boys that are great, awesome, easy to use. And my insurance guy is Green Andrew at Greenbrook Insurance in okay. Wheaton. Um, he's a broker, so he has access to hundreds of different insurance, and he is okay. the one that saved my life. And many of my friends have gone to him and saved a bunch of money. So That's awesome. Yes. And we'll have all those in the links here. So awesome. thanks for taking time, man. Yeah, thank you. Have a great Appreciate one. you. Yep.